Hello everyone, my name is Mark Vina of More Insights and Strategy and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast where we cover all tech topics that are smart home, home automation, home security and console gaming related. Today is Friday, August 14th, 2020. I hope all of you are planning to have a great weekend. In today's podcast, I'd like to spend some time on the topic of trust, particularly in these uncertain and some, in some ways random times. It's an important topic for technology marketers uh, to consider as individual perceptions are so incredibly important as it drives your receptability to different products and, and services. For a robust discussion on that topic, I'm pleased to introduce Margot Edelman, the Senior Vice President of Edelman, one of the great communication firms in the world. Margot leads, uh, leads Edelman's technology practice, and she's here to talk about the company's well-known trust barometer, a tool that they use to measure how governments, businesses, and the media are trusted by people, particularly in context of the big social and macroeconomic topics of the day. Margot, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, excited to be on again. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you to be here. You know, we, we met, oh my God, it, it was about two years ago, year and a half ago. It, it was not- Year it was and a half, a, but it feels like yeah. a really long time ago now. It was when everyone was, you know, still seeing each other in, in large groups. Um, how have you been holding up during the pandemic? Um, you know, it's um, in, the, in the beginning, it was definitely a shock, but I think you just like anything, you kind of get used to it and, you know, work from home. I think my team has, you know, really held up and works just as well remotely as in person. So, you know, I think all things considered doing, doing as well as can be given everything. Well, this is a really a great podcast to do because I, I'm just so fascinated this, to really kind of pick your brain on all these big topics that have surfaced, you know, in light of your trust barometer, which we're going to get into in a few seconds, and how the pandemic has influenced and affected it, because I'm sure we're going to, we're going to get into that very, very quickly. But, but, but for the, the sake of the, uh, the audience, tell us a bit about the Edelman Trust Barometer, what it is, what it does. You know, you made a decision to, 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 to update the mid-year this year, which is a bit unusual, but let's talk about what, that, what the tool does. Sure. Um, so the trust barometer looks at the state of trust in four key institutions. So that's business, government, media, and NGOs. Um, January 2020 was actually the 20th year um, that we did this survey. So we have like a pretty robust data set at this point, and you can really see how you know the world um, events influence trust in these different institutions. So for example, post financial crisis there was a massive drop in trust in business, not surprisingly, given everything going on then. Um, and we actually do the survey in, you know, I think about 26 countries around the world, um, you know, thousands of people surveyed, you know, representative sample in each country. So it really gives, you know, an amazing snapshot of the global state of trust each year. Um, and then this year, just given, you know, everything going on in the world, the fact that there were so many changes with the pandemic and then social unrest, we actually did an update um, that came out in May of the survey. We did it in 11 markets, um, so not the full 26, but it, you know, 11 of what we considered the most important markets, whether you know, China, India, US, Germany, France, um, et cetera, to look at how trust had changed in these key institutions given the pandemic and given everything going on. And you know, we had some really interesting findings you know, for example, trust in government um, is significantly up almost everywhere except the United States, perhaps. And, that, that, and, that, that and I got to stop you. That fascinates me because I, I would, you know, I, I, 
I assumed before I saw the data that that would be true, but I didn't think it would be as dramatically as true as, it, as, the, as the data kind of presents. So try to peel into that because I think that's, some, that's something that I think the average person would not see as intuitive. Well, I mean, I, you know, obviously given the extent to which really governments around the world were able to step up, they were able to, in a lot of ways, lead their countries and lead their people forward um, during this state of crisis. I think it, you know, it does make a lot of sense that trusted government has risen. Um, people have really looked, been able to look to their governments um, to lead them forward, to provide information, to keep them updated on the state of the pandemic, to, you know, in a lot of ways, in some countries, keep people employed, um, at least in the United States, you know, give people unemployment benefits, things like that. Um, however, in the U.S., I mean, just, you know, it's not surprising, just given everything that's gone on, that the U.S. government has not exactly engendered that same amount of trust. However, actually, local trust in local governments in the U.S. has gone up, um, but that has just not been the case for the federal government. In the at, at the federal level, exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, and I, we really should jump into the into the topic that I'm, is on pe people's mind, millions of people across the country, across the globe, uh, across the globe, and that's about job loss. I mean, job loss obviously has been a big topic. Um, Talk a little bit about that in terms of how the data maps to that to that big issue. Um, absolutely. So what's interesting is that fears of job loss are really nothing new. Um, so what we found is sort of in the trust barometer for 2020 in January, it showed that 80% said they were worried about losing their job due to automation and globalization. Um, and so we can see that this is a fear that's been impacting people, you know, yes, this year and, you know, Barometers in the past few years have shown the same thing that there's this fear of technology and fear of automation um, due to the worries about job loss. Um, however, the pandemic has only exacerbated that. So, over half of the respondents this time said they were very worried about losing their job in the pandemic, you know, and not being able to find a job after, which, you know, if you look, if you look at at least in the US, sort of the, you know, state of unemployment, you know, it makes sense that people are worried that the data bears it out and the people who've been most impacted are the ones who can least support it. Are there the people who are service workers, who wait tables, who own small businesses? Um, and so you can, you know, see why they're so worried. Um, so it's interesting. It's almost gone, you know, the pandemic has just exacerbated trends and fears um, that were already in place before, you know, a lot of ways due to fears of technology. Interesting. So it's, it, it was not just a light switch. People just didn't get paranoid once the pandemic started. No, no. I mean, I think, you know, for good reason, they became paranoid during the pandemic because they saw it was going on. But they, these sure. have been fears that people have had for a long time. Now, the, the interesting thing is, and the, you know, as it goes to some of the ways that, you know, governments and institutions are trying to combat uh, the pandemic is, you know, with capabilities like contact tracing and the ability to, um, you know, contain people who are infected and identify that so you avoid that area or at least you know the, the, at least there's some type of organized way of understanding where the hot spots are and obviously that requires the exchange of personal data and there's been a lot of people on both sides of the uh, of that topic in terms of confidentiality and you know what, what are they giving up but uh, let's talk about what the data really says in terms of the way customers people i say consumers but people in general feel about that topic in terms of their willingness to provide information in search of a, uh, hopefully a, a problem that government can help uh, help facilitate absolutely well the data shows i you know have it in front of me that 61 percent of people globally say they're willing to give up more of their personal health and lo tra location tracking information 
to help uh, contain the spread of the virus. So this is something that globally that people you know, have bought into. Um, but then again, not surprisingly, it really breaks down by country. So in China, which obviously has you know, a very, very robust contact tracing system that every single person abides by, over 90% of the people say, there say they're willing to do this. Um, but then when you start looking at you know, other countries more in Western Europe or the United States, the data doesn't totally hold that out. So, you know, for example, um, in the U.S., only 50% of people are. No, 53% are in Germany. Even fewer than that are in France, for example. Um, but then again, you know, going back to the U.S. versus the rest of the world, what has stood out is that, you know, Western Europe, despite these fears, has really been able to, you know, work to contain the pandemic, whether it's through manual contact tracing, like people writing their phone number down at coffee shops, um, whereas the U.S., you know, just from looking at the data really doesn't seem to have, have been able to do that. So it's interesting that, you know, yes, of course you're expecting, you know, this type of um, willingness to give up data from China, um, but then even in markets where there's a little bit more skepticism, like the US for in Western Europe, Western European countries have been at least relatively successful in being able to still do contact tracing. And, and then in the US, we, we have not. So you, again, you can go back to Go back to our leadership, maybe to figure out what, what that is. <laughs> well, but let's let's dive just a little bit into that. And how is that from your perspective? When company instead of doing it, looking at it at a country level or a regional level, what about at a brand or a company level, like the Googles versus the Apples? Do you have any insight in terms of well, you know, some uh, some people feel okay. I I want to. I'm okay divulging that personal data, but I feel better about divulging it to a certain company versus another company. Can you provide any perspective no, on that's, that? That's, that's definitely interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't have you know specific data that backs it up company by company, but it is interesting just to see. We do, we do have data on how people have responded um, in terms of how tech companies overall have performed during the pandemic. And so what's interesting is that tech companies' employees actually feel that they did a good job, um, which makes sense. Like tech companies were one of the you know, first companies to say work from home. Like Microsoft, as soon as this, you know, more cases you know, started in Seattle in March, they immediately were like work from home. Same with Facebook. And those companies have you know, really delayed going back to the office. All of them have sort of pushed out any type of return to work to 2021. Um, however, what's interesting also is that people don't necessarily think that tech CEOs have done a great job of leading during the yes. pandemic. So they've right. done a good job for their employees in terms of protecting their own employees, but they haven't necessarily demonstrated the public or seen as demonstrating the public leadership that people would expect of companies of this stature during this time. Um, and again, you know, we did this survey earlier in the summer. So I know, you know Google and Apple, for example, have come out with their own technology around contact tracing. You know, for mm -hmm. example, um, you know, Microsoft has come out with sort of a, a talent marketplace. So there are definitely ways in which, you know, tech companies have stepped up over the past few months that might not necessarily be reflecting the data. But I did think it was interesting that people perceive them as kind of protecting their own employees, did a good job there, but not necessarily in, in do, you know, leading um, by example. Um, do, do you think that perception is driven in part only by the company's actions or do you think part of that is the media? The media may portray certain companies, certain CEOs, certain organizations in a less than favorable light. I mean, I, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think the media serves in some ways to um, what's the right word? Um, uh, exacster exacerbate. Maybe it's not the right word, but to almost so, highlight. So, so, 
sensationalize. <laughs> exactly, highlight um, what, um, what companies are doing. So if they're doing something well, they're doing it really well. If they're not doing it well, they're doing it really badly. And so it almost you know, creates a kind of polarization, I think, around who's doing well and who's not, whether that's looking at government leadership or whether that's looking at company leadership. Um, we do actually work with one company or you know, a couple companies that have, I think, done a great job in sort of leading during the pandemic. So one of them, for example, is Coursera, which when this you know, first hit actually made all of its courses free online um, mm -hmm. for people, just knowing that you know, online education was gonna become increasingly important, you know, especially given that people can't show up you know, in person, people have more time on their hands. So this was an opportunity for them to really provide education as a public good. Um, and then secondly, they're actually partnering with local governments to provide Coursera courses um, instead of unemployment, as, as a part of unemployment benefits which allows for retraining and, you know, learning new skills. So I think, you know, that's a really great example of a company that I think, you know, did a great job of taking its core product and then using it to lead during the pandemic. Um, we work with another company. It's, you know, a startup. It's a C3AI run by Tom Siebel. And, you know, something really interesting they did there was to partner with Microsoft to create something called the and other research institutions called the Digital Transformation Institute. And as part of that, they actually gave millions of dollars in grants to researchers who were using AI as a tool to um, basically help research cures for the pandemic. So that's you know another way that I think you know companies have stepped up um, you know in in you know very specific ways to you know put their best foot forward and try to do their part during the pandemic. And, and, and interesting in perusing the report, the topic that is really fascinating to me, and I want you to get your, your point of view on this, is that, you know, during the pandemic, and you know this, is that there's been a tremendous run up in technology sales as people, and we're going to get into the work from home topic in, in, in a moment, but as people have been kind of rushed to, um, to work at home, they've been upgrading their PCs or buying, uh, buying new notebooks. Yeah. You can't, you still can't find a notebook, try to find a webcam, you know, good luck. You know, I tr tried to buy a keyboard this morning online, you know, uh, a six week wait from, um, from, uh, for a Logitech keyboard from Amazon. And despite wow. this rust in, you know, this Russian technology um, uh, and many of the tech companies actually, actually have done quite well uh, during the, uh, during the pandemic. It's been a, a bit of a tailwind. Your data shows that there's, there, the trust has uh, deteriorated to a bit uh, in tech. Uh, I'm sorry, technology has deteriorated, uh, deteriorated from a, a trust standpoint. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. For so long, technology has been the most trusted sector in business, um, you know, really for years and years. Mm -hmm. But what we have seen over the past, you know, probably three to four years is we've seen that trust deteriorate. And so it used to be, you know, way higher than business. Um, and then over the years, business, trust in business overall has gone up slightly and trust in tech has, has gone down. Um, and, you know, there's been so many issues in the tech sector, uh, whether that's issues around data and privacy, whether that's um, issues around, you know, potentially monopoly power like an Amazon could have, um, whether that's, you know, Facebook and fake news and all of that. There are so sure. many, you know, ways that the tech sector and its leaders have been sort of at the forefront of, you know, potential issues in the country. Uh, or, you know, going back to our original discussion, automation and displacement of people's jobs, all of that the tech sector is, you know, at the heart of. And so, you know, my hypothesis is all these issues have started to erode trust in the sector. Because for a long time, tech was my iPhone that lets me, you know, 
call my family or order an Uber, or order food, or it's my computer. And it's, you know, all these things and gadgets that are enhancing your life. But over the last few years, technology, just, you know, through the newspaper has started to be associated with things that are negative, um, not just kind of the, the tools and products that are helping your life be better. And I think, you know, what the data shows here is just a little bit of, you know, a continuation of that. So the um, sectors that are doing the best are actually healthcare and then food and beverage. And those, you know, at least when we did the survey back in May, were really the sectors that are at the forefront of the pandemic, right? Like the healthcare sector, you have, you know, different, um, you know, companies, you know, trying to discover you know, a, a vaccine for COVID, you have, you know, hospitals putting their, you know, nurses and doctors on the line every day to save people's lives. And, you know, no wonder trust in healthcare has gone up. That sector has, you know, really been at the forefront of how we're going to combat what's going on. And then with food and beverage, you know, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, they're the ones who have kept our grocery stores stocked. They're the ones who have kept, you know, supply chains open, all of that. And so, you know, without that sector, you know, the entire economy would collapse. And I think there were very much worries about that, you know, going back to, you know, March and April, that that might be the case. And it, and it hasn't been, partly because I think that sector has seriously kind of stepped up to keep plants open, to keep stores open, keep people safe, all of that. And so I think the tech sector, it's a combination of they haven't necessarily been on the front lines in the same way. And then there's also just been a general erosion of trust um, over the years due to all the issues we just talked about. So, so what guidance would you provide to tech companies to really help build trust? I mean, we've talked about this before, even before the pandemic, uh, but certainly it's probably more important now than ever. At, at a macro level, what are the you know, two, three things that you think companies really should hammer home to help them build trust? Because it's so important, you know, not just from a, um, a revenue and a margin and a profitability standpoint, but for, for building a brand that is long lasting and spans over decades of time, not just a few uh, short periods totally. of time. Well, our data does show that people want companies and you know, in particular tech companies to partner with government to create a solution for the pandemic. So people want tech companies to be stepping up and to be helping. I'm um, going back to the couple examples I had shared. I think the more tech companies can use their kind of core products and services and either make them free or make them available to you know frontline workers, things like that, I think the better off they'll be and they'll start to kind of regain um, that halo of trust. Um, another thing that's interesting in the data, and I think this they, tech companies are doing quite well, is to prioritize health and safety over anything else in return to work. So the important thing is not to make sure you have butts and seats and people are back, but that the people who are your employees are safe. And I think that's easy to do with like, you know, white collar workers who sit at home and can easily work remotely. Likely sort of the same applies, you know, if you're Amazon and you have um, warehouse workers, how are you keeping them safe? How are you prioritizing their health and safety? So it's not just about kind of the white collar workers that easily you know, can sit behind a desk and do remote work. It's also how do you treat the employees who are on the front lines and when do you bring them back and how and how do you keep them safe? So I think right. those two things are incredibly important. And then I also do think still, going back to our original conversation, that people are looking to CEOs for leadership. So if tech company CEOs, you know, you know, they have a huge amount of visibility. They're being, you know, pulled in front of Congress to, to talk about what their companies are doing. Like, this is a time for them to sort of advocate for, um, you know, ways that business and, and government can partner to improve the lives of workers today, just because we've been through so much change. 
and this is an opportunity for them to um, use their products and services to make a difference. Now, in the few minutes we have left here, because it's a topic we have to talk about, is that, you know, obviously we're in this kind of, you know, unprecedented work from home uh, behavioral pattern right now. Um, and everybody's kind of waiting to see, is this going to change in a dramatic way? And if I talk to 20 people, I'll get 10 people that will tell me, oh, work from home is here to stay. And I'll get 10 other people to tell me, you know, things are going to go back to normal. Now, the data that you guys, uh, guys have show pretty clearly that people do want to see partnerships between business and governments to, to fix the problem. You know, I think that's pretty clear. From your perspective, do you think that... Uh, you know, from, from your personal experiences, from the, the, the clients that you interact with, the data that you have, do you really think that, uh, how, how is remote work going to change after the pandemic is over? No, it's, it's a, that's a very interesting question. I think one where we're all grappling with, you know, for Edelman as a professional services firm, you know, we have a massive amount of office space. Do we need that? <laughs> yeah. You know, do we need to have enough space for every single person? And is there the expectation there should be in the office? Um, I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, as the data shows, I mean, we need to be incredibly careful about going back and, you know, not go back before people are ready. Um, and as I said, you know, that applies, I think, you know, yes, for white collar workers, but also for, you know, those who are more on the front lines, how can we keep them safe? Um, but then just in terms of remote work, I mean, I, I personally have asked, you know, a number of, you know, reporters this and my friends, and I think there is a just generally a feeling that, um, we won't necessarily, that a lot of meetings that I think we thought needed to be in person um, and we needed to be there physically and, you know, we needed to make that flight to London to have that one meeting. I think there's maybe a feeling that that's not as necessary anymore and that business can be effective, um, just working remotely, seeing people over a screen um, rather than needing to do all of this travel and all of this, you know, flying back and forth, et cetera. Um, to get to places. I think, you know, people definitely are, you know, now accustomed to working remotely, accustomed to having conversations and facilitating introductions over Zoom. And, you know, I, I personally think that work is going to go more that way. And I also think, you know, again, this is just something I've seen personally, like places like San Francisco, New York City, like they're incredibly expensive to live. And so, you know, I think you can actually have a great team. And if people want to work remotely, because they can afford a house better in the middle of the country, um, or they just want to have a better lifestyle out there rather than having to live in San Francisco or New York. Um, I think they should have the option to do that. Like, I think, you know, there are definitely benefits to having a team that's happy, having a team that feels that they can have, you know, a place where they can live in a place where they can afford to buy a house and all of that. And so, at least for me personally, I'm, I'm now getting onto the like distributed team distributed work bandwagon because to me as long as people are productive they sign on when they should they're you know show up to meetings on zoom i'm like great that's that's all i need so sure. you know no, I, I, I think, think that, that will be here to stay too no i, I think the, that the point you made that this is going to have a disruptive impact on things like property sales property values office space i mean no one really knows of course as you've mentioned you know where the the, the new new normalcy is going to be, you know, three or four months from now. Hopefully it's only three or four months. Hopefully it's sooner than that. But the, um, I think it's going to have a profound impact on there's a lot of people who are going to be, hey, you know, I'm, I, I enjoy working, uh, working from home. 
I can potentially move to a different place that allows me to live with a better lifestyle from a financial standpoint, um, maybe close to other members of their family. So there's going to be lots and lots of um, interesting impl implications of it. And as a you know, Bay Area guy myself, I like the fact that I can get on the highway at one o'clock in the afternoon, drive to San Francisco in 35 minutes versus an hour and a half. You know, so totally. it's going to even have, have impacts on that as well. Uh, before we sign off, any other parting topics? And, and by the way, how do we get this report? Because this report is so incredibly interesting. And, you know, I know you're probably pitching it to everyone as you talk to <laughs> all your clients Absolutely. about it, but how, but how could someone get their hands on it? Absolutely. I mean, all you need to do is go to Edelman.com and just do 2020 Trust Barometer Spring Update, and it'll come right up with a full deck, infographics, and executive summary. So you'll have all of the information um, and data on the report um, just by doing that. Um, so very easy to find. Um, no, I just want to say, I mean, obviously we're living in unprecedented times and, you know, in some ways it's actually incredibly exciting to see all the ways that technology are enabling connections um, when you can't see people in person. Um, so I think in some ways, you know, I'm actually very grateful that this happened when it did in the sense that, you know, if this happened 15 years ago, we wouldn't have an iPhone. We wouldn't have, you know, a way to connect with everybody. So in some ways, you know, you can say what you want about technology companies, et cetera, but technology has really enabled all of us to really stay connected at a time that's been, as you said, extremely uncertain and disjointed. So just end, maybe end on that positive note. To say the least, it's been uncertain. Exactly. But listen, Margo, thank you for joining me for today's podcast. Uh, for the more insights and strategy audience, please follow us on our usual social media uh, partners, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great weekend. Mm -hmm.